podcast starts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to And Now the Podcast Starts. Uh, I am TD Velasquez, but you can call me Dan, and this is my wonderful co-host... Kirsty Warrow, hello. And we have two other splendid co-hosts who sadly can't join us for this live recording right now, but you will be hearing their voices in pre-recorded segments later in this episode. They are the marvellous Stella Gaynor and the joyous Howard Whittock. This is a podcast about horror and films and other things that the four of us love and enjoy talking about, and we hope you'll enjoy it too. Kirsty, how are you today? I'm, I'm not bad. How are you, Dan? Uh, I'm all right, considering that it, it is uh, late April 2020 and we're living in a strange world. Yeah, um, the context of existential dread. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, over here where I am in Greater Manchester in the UK, the, the weather's lovely. I can look outside the window and see a blue sky. And, um, you know, it, it's almost pretty enough to distract me from the the eerie, terrifying quiet. Um, but um, I, I, I'd like to say I think I'm possibly one of the, the lucky ones. I'm in a nice place. How are things where you are? Well, I, yeah, I'm in, uh, well, Shropshire, um, <laughs> somewhere in the wilds. Um, and my context is, well, similar to yours in that it's very lovely outside, but I'm inside with the, uh, you know, in a darkened room, which is how I spend much of my professional life, diverting myself from the, you know, kind of horrors of the everyday um, and looking at the horrors of the fictitious. Right. <laughs> well, um, I think that sounds like pretty good therapy to me. Um, Indeed. At the moment. Uh, which is why it seemed like a good idea to uh, to to create this podcast. Um, you and I uh, both love horror. We do, um, and we've been talking for for some years with our other friends about doing a show, and we're finally doing it. And I think the reason is uh, because it just seemed to me that. Um, with the world in the state that it is at the moment, anything anyone can do to put out content, to, to reach out, to keep conversations going about cultural things, and to remember the things that uh, we were enthusiastic about before our lives turned into a horror movie, um, then I, I think that was probably a good thing to do. Absolutely. And also, you know, we have the time now, so, you know, uh, it, seemed, it seemed silly not to. We do, yeah, yeah, that's true as well. Um, I mean, um, I, I'm kind of in a lucky situation in that, uh, well, I work from home anyway, I'm between jobs at the moment, but my second job that I do all the time is uh, I care for my uh, elderly mother who I live with. Um, so this actually could be one of those podcasts where the host gets interrupted and has to shout, Mom, I'm busy, at some point in the middle of the discussion. Um, uh, so, that, you know, so living at home and uh, and just dealing with the domestic situation and doing a mm -hmm. bit of work while I'm doing that is, is kind of usual for me. And I, I even get uh, a little bit of money for being a carer, as long as the, the, the wheels of government administration keep turning. So, you know, so I definitely feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you're a, a, a key worker, aren't you? Because you work well, in education. 
Yes, I am. I'm not, again, one that's going out uh, to teach at the moment, hence why I can kind of fit in this. Um, now, I normally teach um, A-level students film studies, um, occasionally media studies. Um, so I would normally be at this time on a Wednesday um, uh, welcoming in a uh, kind of group of 20 students um, and making them sit uh, in a very darkened room for a couple of hours and thinking about, you know, kind of films and uh yeah, and kind of what they say about the world. Um, and yeah, and kind of trying to broaden their horizons somewhat successfully. Um, yeah, so that's what I what I would be doing if the world wasn't in such, you know, kind of disarray at the moment. But yeah. yes, it, yes, we have nostalgic learnings for the times when we could actually gather in large numbers in a darkened room. I know. Oh, <sighs> I so look forward to to doing that again. Yes. And also just going to a cinema. Yes. And um, we will. We will. Yes. Um, I mean, uh, it's only recently that I've been able to enjoy going to a cinema in a kind of straightforward way because for a very long time my hometown didn't have a cinema and then in 2016 wow. it opened one. Um, wow. So for the first time in my life I've had, apart from when I suppose when I was at university, um, I've had a cinema within walking distance of my house and I could basically just go and see a film if I felt like it. Um, you know, uh, last... Um, Halloween, I went to see The Shining, which was re-released briefly. Um, yeah. And that was just great to be able to go and do that. Um, and, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, I, I really enjoy the cinematic experience. And possibly um, one of the reasons why um, I, I let myself off slightly for not having seen as many films as perhaps I think I should have done um, is that... As I've got older, I've kind of got more and more attracted to the idea of going to see films at the cinema. So I won't necessarily watch a film when it's on TV or it's available some other way. I'll say to myself, oh, I'll wait until I get a chance to see that in the cinema. Um, that's a pretty poor excuse, really. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get that the, you know, the kind of differentiation between a film that you think, oh, I like, like that's special. I can see that I want to have a, you know, kind of a particular, you know, kind of eventful experience with that particular film but for me it just you know I've, I've got two young kids um and so at any opportunity I have to put films in my my eyes and my brain um that particularly films that they you know kind of aren't allowed to see um I will grab forcefully with both hands <laughs> oh, of course brilliant I don't blame you at all um and you know this seems like a good time to explain to the listener that uh, you and I uh, know each other going back mm -hmm. a couple of decades because we were at university oh. together studying film. Uh, indeed, indeed. And it was very many years ago now. Um, but yes. I don't know about very many, Kirsty. Just because there were people being born when we were at university who now will be almost old enough to go to university doesn't mean it's a long time. It seems pretty <laughs> quick to me. Um, I think I think what you'll find, Daniel, is that the people who were being born when we were at university um, are probably in about year, well, first year, second years, I think, if they went straight from sixth form. Oh dear. Um, which is a rather depressing thought. Um, well, if you're but, going you know. to be realistic about it, Kirsty. <laughs> um, Sorry, but, but no, we had a great time, and um, it still seems pretty fresh to me. Uh, mm -hmm. We discovered loads of wonderful films, and we learned about uh, films. We made films. Yes, it was a long time ago. Um, I mean, one of the reasons uh, I I picked that university to go to, which was Sheffield Hallam, 
was that they were one of the last um, universities or places in the country at the time teaching how to edit on film. Um, yeah, I think that was a that was a draw for me as well. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, I, I'm not sure in my life um, why that was such a huge draw because basically it didn't give me any skills or knowledge which I could bring into my place of work, obviously. Um, I think they probably stopped teaching editing on film um, quite soon after that. And in fact, by the time we had, you know, graduated, we'd started off making short films and editing them on film, but then we were doing them digitally, or at least we were editing them digitally by the end. So you yeah. could kind of see how time was changing. But I mean, have you found that that you've been able to use that knowledge that we gained there in your teaching, for instance? Um, yes, only in as far as sort of, you know, kind of telling students, you know, like tales of old um, in, you know, the, the transition of uh, film production from photochemical to um, digital. Um, and I, you know, kind of, you know, we, t- we talk a lot interestingly about the kind of where the, a lot of the language around film comes from, like, you know, cutting um because sure. you would actually cut um and i you know explained to them that you know kind of <laughs> you know kind of editing bays and the big steinbeck machines and you know kind of recalling the days where you and i were you know sat at one of these big old you know kind of behemoth things with actual kind of razor blades and bits of glue and tape and hanging things up and i think yeah. they just look at me and just go what is she talking about you know it's so far out there their kind of experience. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like imagining Stone Age technology, really. Um, but having that kind of knowledge and insight, I found that as a film fan, it made me appreciate the films that I liked or even uh, didn't like much more. Yeah, absolutely. Because... I think, I th- yeah, I think even at the time, though, it was a kind of sense that it was it was already kind of outdated. And I remember, I think, somebody saying, oh, well, do you know Vin Vendor still cuts his films on Steinbeck? <laughs> You right. know, as if that was like, oh, okay, it's like special. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's gone, isn't it? And but I remember falling out with um, Final, was it Final Cut Pro on on uh, PCs, which was just terrible. Right. Um, I, I, I learned I'm not an editor at all. <laughs> is, that, is that what we used then? I, yeah. I, I remember it kind of being there, but I think maybe I didn't use it. Um I'm I'm more kind of familiar with Adobe Premiere. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I've stuck with, um, yeah. and also Avid I've used sometimes, which is kind of industry standard editing software, which they didn't teach us about at university. No. So when I discovered it, it was an emotionally <laughs> shattering moment. <laughs> oh my god, I don't understand this at all. I know nothing. I paid um, all this money. <laughs> yeah, but um, but no, I mean, I think that the value of it is that if you are a, a film fan with an interest or, or you want to appreciate the history of film, um, even now that we're in the midst of the digital age of film making, the vast majority of the history of film is still analogue. Mm. Um, you know, maybe 90% of all films ever made uh, will have been created using these um these completely outmoded techniques, but uh, but you know, a film only has to be twenty years or so old, maybe a bit yeah. older, to to um, to have been made in that way. And um, and certainly, if you, when you look at really early films, yeah, um, which are still very entertaining. I mean, I think um, Howard and I have recorded an episode of this show um, 
which is going to be about the, the 1973 film Horror Express. But we kind of talk about the history of films set mm. on board trains and the technical problems of, yeah. of shooting on a train. Um, and, you know, the first film that did that, or one of the very early films, was like was Alfred Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes in 1938, which still looks... is still a very entertaining piece of yeah. work. And when you when you think about everything they had to get together, uh, yeah. they had to mesh perfectly to create the illusion of just a moving train. Yeah, I mean, um, it's astonishing, isn't it? That just the kind of the, the inventiveness and the kind of... I mean, I... You know, I think just thinking about the kind of evolution of horror cinema in tandem with the evolution of horror cinema more generally it is really interesting. Um, and hopefully, maybe we could think about a you know kind of future episode around looking at you know German expressionism films. Um, I think that's definitely about, yeah. But I mean, it's like if you look at again, not horror specific, but if you look at the you know kind of films like Metropolis and the kind of the techniques that they that <laughs> Fritz Lang made people come up with just to make that film, it is absolutely astonishing and. and and, you know, there's a lot of jokes in there in the kind of in the contemporary film industry about, you know, kind of film productions. Oh, you just fix it in post. You know, it's fine. We just we'll fix it at the computer later um, is is easy. Um, but it kind of diminishes, I think, the kind of the the ingenuity of, you know, kind of practical filmmaking, practical effects. Um. No, me too. I mean, not to dismiss the hard work and the incredible skill that goes into the people who have to fix. Oh, gosh, digitally no. fix movies. Yes. Um, but I, I feel like. Uh, it's to their um, benefit as well that that more practical um, methods of filmmaking are known about and um, furthered and continue to be used because it's not fair to the digital artists to give them more and more stuff to do um, when you can use other techniques to create certain effects and certain elements of your films no i was just i was just thinking about the way in which you know kind of um but i think particularly with um with horror um that the vfx elements you know they're not as 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 important in that you know that as a viewer i find i'm more likely to be kind of unnerved unsettled and scared by by looking at kind of cinematic frames and kind of events in the kind of worlds of the films where like there's a sense of oh that's a practical effect or it's you know kind of they've shot it in such a way that you know you kind of you create that moment in your head rather than you know kind of vfx led stuff which is all very beautiful and you know obviously we'll talk about beauty and and, and horror at some point in the future but oh, yes. it doesn't you know kind of it, it i i find i don't get as kind of scared by it i prefer the kind of visceral kind of physical sense that you know the kind of actors are inhabiting a real world instead of looking at you know kind of real creatures yes i i, I think so <clears throat> um a lot of the time but i also think when I, um i'm thinking of that kind of thing of um farming more stuff onto uh the digital side of filmmaking um it's not just the effects you know it might it might be simple things that the the practical filmmakers could have done and that they didn't do for some reason because they're so used to um, things being fixed in post. Yeah. You know, so that chair shouldn't be in the back of that shot. Oh, we'll just get the VFX guys to erase it. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's probably not a great use of the VFX uh, people's time and skill. No, um, I mean, are we, are we talking about, you know, kind of uh, Henry Cavill's moustache? You, uh, yes, 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 absolutely. That kind of thing. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I not, mean, not that's... a good use of their time. 
that's not horrible. You could do a whole episode, probably a whole series of podcasts about how bizarre that that decision was on uh, <laughs> on Justice League. But um, anyway, but yeah. Um, oh, also, also another idea is um, horror films which aren't actually horrors. In that, um, I have had kind of discussions again with students more recently about how um, you know, like Cats works really well as a sort of surreal horror. Oh, that's as, interesting. You know, <laughs> so you know, kind of picking out films that weren't intended to be horrors, but actually potentially are best viewed <laughs> with that kind of you know in that lens yes i think i think that's really interesting and i think that that will be something which we'll come back to kind of recurrently um in the show is what is horror really and how do different people define horror and mm-hmm. and where can you find horror in unusual places um because to me a horror film is is kind of any film that's scary for instance but but also it has to be kind of frightening for me in an entertaining way um and certainly and i have complete respect for films that do this you know some horror films set out to not be entertaining to be kind of grueling and Mm. um uh and and other films are grueling or frightening without setting out to be that way because they're because that's the subject matter they're about yeah, absolutely um, yeah and, it's a really it's a i mean i think you know kind of generically it's really difficult sometimes to kind of point you know without falling back on the really kind of old kind of tropes and kind of generic conventions of the likes of the slasher and you know the kind of exorcism movie to actually point at you know kind of what is clearly defined kind of horror there's so much you know of kind of you know stuff that is science fiction or thriller um, that you know, kind of has these you know horror elements. Um, yeah. Just thinking something like um, uh, like Alex Garland's Ex Machina, which is clearly sci-fi, but has you know this deeply unsettling tone. And, yes. You know, kind of, and and clear moments of of you know you know even tropes that are borrowed clearly from kind of you know horror. Yeah. Um, but and yet, you know, not you know, for most people, wouldn't necessarily be considered horror. But I find it horrific and beautiful. And, yeah, you know. I agree actually. Um, and um, I shall certainly be checking out Alex Garland's new project, Devs. Oh, I have um, been watching. Oh, okay. I've not seen it yet. So, oh, it's um, it's, just, it's the same, and it is it is beguiling and terrifying, and and well controlled, and you know, all of that uh, stuff. A phrase which gets used a lot at the moment is the uncanny valley, and I think that. It, his films have a, a mastery of that. Ex Machina is a great example uh, mm-hmm. um, of the weirdness of the character who is a machine, um, mm-hmm. but also seems very human in lots of ways, but not quite. Yeah. And there's a fascination to that, but also there's a sense of terror to that, um, yeah. which makes it um, compelling as a film, I think, even though it's, you know, supposedly not a horror film. Um, no. So I'd agree that you, that lots of films kind of touch over into these different areas. I think a lot of children's films are scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think we'll probably go in that direction. Um, that would be good. Well, seeing as we've started discussing things that might come up later in the podcast and which interest us about horror and things like that, it might be a good idea to give the listener a little bit of an idea 
of the direction that the podcast will follow and what kind of shape it will take and indeed why we wanted to do this in the first place. So the four of us have been having separate conversations for years about possibly doing some kind of horror-related podcast together, Um, but we never knew exactly what the format would be, and we just started recording bits and pieces that we'd like to include without having a real idea of the overall structure of it. Um, So we've got a lot of pre-recorded material Um, But we didn't know exactly how we wanted to release it. We weren't sure what the format would be, but actually the format was always there. The format is the four of us, Kirsty, myself, Stella and Howard, and our particular interests and specialisms. So that's what we're going to follow, and we're going to see where they intertwine and enmesh, and hopefully they'll um, develop quite an interesting show, and you'll get to know us, um, and get to know horror with us and start to think about horror in the way that we do maybe or perhaps we'll start to think about it in the way that our listeners do if you get involved and and send us messages and feedback we'd really be interested to turn this into a conversation so therefore i think it's probably a good idea to give the listener an idea of what could be coming up in the podcast and what kind of topics we'll come to and return to repeatedly a main kind of recurrent theme of the um, episodes of the podcast will be ourselves discovering classics of repute um, from film and TV that we really should have watched by now. Um, we've always meant to get around to, but just haven't. Um, yes, yeah. So that sense that we, you know, it kind of comes out of us, uh, not, you know, kind of being maybe as kind of literate as we would perhaps like. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, using the opportunity to to fill in a gap in our knowledge but also you know it could be something which could be kind of comforting to the listener if the listener is say a film student um they uh, they're aware that there are certain films that they've not discovered well uh, they'll find out that we've not discovered them either and maybe it'd be useful to kind of hear a, a first timer's perspective on it because yes. they're just so used to people who've already seen it um kind of giving them withering looks um Yes. So that will be something that will come up repeatedly. Uh, Films that several of us have not yet seen uh, will kind of form special episodes around the discussion of, I mean, an example that comes to me straight away of a movie that I meant to watch for a long time but never quite got round to is um, Dario Argento's Suspiria, Mm -hmm. um, which I think I, I, I intended to watch when it was on TV at Christmas in about 2001. Um, but for some reason didn't and have never um, scratched that itch, even though I've seen several other Argento films. Um, mm. I mean, I, I think for me with Suspiria, it was, um, you know, there was a kind of point in my life, again, university, um, the video library that we had access to, that it belongs to this kind of Oh, it was wonderful, of watching films. Yeah, but it belongs to this phase of watching films where I just watch so much stuff um, that it's, you know, uh, many films that I, I know I have seen. But yet I do not remember. And I think the, you know, the kind of uh, the recent remake, um, which, you know, is is compelling in its own way. I think that it'd be really interesting to kind of think about those those two and the very different kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, yeah aesthetics of both of them. Um, yeah, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. I haven't seen the remake. I'd, I'd rather see the original first. So that will be something that I, I, I look forward to exploring. Um, something else that will just come up 
repeatedly will just be the reviews or retrospectives of films that we are familiar with that we just like to talk about for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. Because we, we love them. Yes, it will come from a place mm -hmm. of enthusiasm because something I've, I've come to believe <clears throat> is that there actually isn't enough enthusiasm in the world and you should always do what um, you can to grab and celebrate as much as possible. Um, so we'll talk about movies that we love. Also, you know, there might not be movies that we all love. There might be a bit of discussion and debate about them, and that will be fun too. That will be kind of yeah. bringing new perspectives to, to, to films and TV and things that, that we are really familiar with, but and also using the, the academic eyes that we've gained over the years to kind of look at um, old favourites in new ways. So, I mean, um, last year or the year before last, Howard and I and a bunch of other kind of special guests recorded reviews of every single Halloween film, which is so many films. Um, <laughs> too, too many, one might say. <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps. Um, and not all favourites of mine, but some of them are. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we did those, and a couple of them went on to YouTube. Uh, but most of them didn't, so we'll put them out on this feed, and we'll also add the the YouTube ones to the feed as well, so that listeners can get the whole series. And hopefully, that'll be quite an interesting journey in the sense that we cover a whole series of movies, and you can hear our kind of changing attitudes to them as you go. And if the listener, you know, would would choose to to watch the films at the same time maybe they'd um they'd empathize with some of our reactions and you know so and other films will will come up that we want to revisit um as we go through and another kind of recurring theme that we'll we'll come back to is that of female directors of horror films um mm -hmm. So um, you and I, Kirsty, already recorded an episode talking about four directors in particular. Um, we that did. will come up. Uh, we'll release that in a few weeks' time. Um, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll come back um, and explore other female directors because I, I, I think we both feel that um, that's an area of the genre and of filmmaking in general which doesn't get talked about enough and and i'm hoping as well that i you know you will have a, a vast uh, knowledge of that area um certainly in comparison to me so you will help me to discover films and filmmakers that i didn't know about uh, you already did that in the first episode we recorded where you um invited me to watch um annabella's the love witch you're welcome. <laughs> uh, I'm very grateful, and uh, thank yeah. you. It was it was that was a wonderful film um, to discover uh, and to talk about. So um, it's lovely. It's I just just oh so much affection for that film. Just the way that it looks, and just it's just sort of general tone of not caring <laughs> about quite a lot of things. Yes, um, it's wonderful. I love the spirit of it. I love um, making a film. Uh, that's ostensibly set in maybe the late 60s but blatantly has modern cars in it and they've just gone yeah that doesn't matter um yeah um because low budget um yeah you know um they could have blown their budget getting some period cars but they just thought no, it's, there's, there's all the more important things to spend our small amounts of money on so they mm -hmm. did and uh, I appreciate that attitude um and the create the you know the creativity 
of everything that goes into that film, the design. Anyway, you and I have yeah. a, an extended discussion about that movie on another episode, so yeah. that's something the listener can look forward to. And then I think, as we just kind of hinted in our discussion about the nature of horror and how you can find horror in different kinds of movies, we're just going to have kind of random episodes come up, uh, you know, which just are, are about things which seem like a good idea at the time. They could be about events that happen um like uh stella and i went to the grim fest festival the annual uh, manchester horror film festival last year and we'll do an episode about what we saw there um and you'll hear a preview of that in a moment um but also just you know if if we decide that there's a a non-horror film that maybe should be thought of as a horror film or something or um a comedy that's also a horror or, or whatever you know there's all kinds of yeah, I think our definition is really broad, isn't it, when it comes yes. to kind of horror. Horror adjacent. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's a really good way of, of saying it. So, that, And I do think that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of films that I love because they frighten me, um, mm. because that's what I'm into. But these aren't necessarily always horror films. No. Um, and, um, you know, I know that Howard, uh, our co-presenter Howard, is a huge fan of the thriller genre as well so i think that you know he might have some interesting examples there mm. because i think that's a very blurry line basically i think thrillers are horror films without gore essentially most of the time I, I've, I've often um explained when we you know kind of talking about um horror or kind of genre um more broadly just kind of students often talk about um particularly psychological thriller mm. yeah as essentially just being horror for grown-ups Right, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, sort of slightly more realistic kind of setting. I mean, the, the you know, the often the emotional responses are different. Um, but, you know, kind of, yeah, thrillers are, yeah, I think a good way of thinking about them is, is they're sort of slightly more mature, aren't they? They're more grounded in reality. Yes, yeah. Um, but some of them are anyway. Um, yes. Not uh, all, the good obviously. ones, the good ones. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I think that'll be uh, an interesting area of discussion and you know the fact that this podcast isn't entirely about horror in a way horror adjacent as you say kind of brings us to the title of the podcast yes dan what 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 exactly what does the title mean well yes <laughs> you, you may well ask kirsty so um <laughs> there is a movie that uh, came out in 1973 uh with a wonderful title um and now the screaming starts um the title has nothing to do with the plot of the movie at all. Um, it's a horror film, um, and it stars uh, Peter Cushing, who is um, you're, you're perhaps my favourite deceased actor, um, and uh, you know very close to, to me and Howard, as we'll discover as we go through this podcast. Um, and and anyone who's kind of a fan of uh, of him or of the kind of history of British horror films probably will recognise that title and therefore we'll get a hint from uh, the fact that our podcast is called what it is that they'll think, ah, this is a horror films podcast, maybe. Also, I think the title of the podcast is kind of loose. It kind of allows us to to make the podcast about whatever we want it to be about Mm -hmm. because all it has to be is a podcast that starts... I like that you have built in the flexibility there yes, so. for, you know, evolution, transition, growth, development. And um, something I always did think, which I, should, I suppose I should mention, is that, um, you know, I kind of always imagined that the first episode of the show would be 
you and I and and our co-host Stella and Howard all talking about that movie because it's it's familiar to me and Howard. I don't think you've seen it. Um, I don't think Stella had seen it before. Um, and, and, and it made sense to me to actually kind of address that film in the first episode. Mm-hmm. However, um, yeah. you know, because However. of the situation we're in, we can't all get together online. Um, uh, you know, Stella and Howard's segments, at least for now, will 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 all be kind of pre-recorded ones, of which there are many, and and that will be um, good listening, hopefully. But uh, we'll have to come back to and now the screaming starts um, at a later point because I think we should kind of all be in on it. And in on. I look forward to that. So that will bring us to our first segment, really. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Stella is is unable to be here live because she's not quite set up for remote recording yet. Hopefully she will be soon. Um, but I thought to introduce the listener to um, Stella in, in the first episode and so that we are all featured in the first episode, we could have a clip from the discussion that Stella and I recorded at Grimfest. So to introduce you to Stella and Grimfest, Stella is a media lecturer at uh, Media City UK um, and she has a doctoral PhD in horror television. So her interests... Uh, are pretty specific and her knowledge is pretty deep. She also has a background in filmmaking. I've known her since um, sixth form college. For the last couple of years, Stella and I have, have always gone to Grimfest together because we don't live too far away from each other. Grimfest is Manchester's annual festival of genre filmmaking. It's four days long. Um, every day has a selection of feature films and also a, a short spell of short films uh, for every day and it's a somewhat grueling event you've got to be prepared um there's uh, you basically go there and from 10 a.m till about 1 a.m the next day you just watch films they just fire films at you there's there's not really a lunch break or any time to stop there's a couple of opportunities to go for a pee um that's about it really you kind of have to prepare yourself but it is fun uh we've enjoyed both of the times we've been to it and we recorded a discussion uh, a couple of months ago about the films we saw at the 2019 festival. Um, that was a number of feature films, um, which we'll um, we'll discuss in a later episode of the podcast. But we also particularly, I think we saw nine short films and we just talked about what were our favourites and what we found most impactful. Um, so um, what we'll do now is we will flash back in time so that you can hear me and Stella talking about our impressions of those. I feel like there should be a sound effect. (laughs) Yes, yes. um, I'm not going to do the sound effect, but I feel like there should be one. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll do that when we come back. uh, Kirsty and I will still be here, and I will give the listener a little more information about where they can find the short films that were discussed. So, see you in a short time, folks. Well, we saw a total of nine short films, didn't yes. we? We, sh- we saw one that was kind of a, an appetizer almost at the very start of the day. <laughs> an appetizer. Um, <laughs> yes, appropriately <laughs> enough. And then we saw the uh, um, a compendium of eight shorts in the middle of the day, and there were some of the filmmakers in attendance to talk yes. about them as well. Um, so these were kind of um, several short films of between five and 15 minutes length each. Um, and I don't want to... Um, go on a litany of describing every single one of them. No. Um, so I, I just thought um, I, I'll ask you, Stella, what, what do you think was your favourite of the shorts that you saw? 
My favourite was definitely uh, Bedtime Story, which okay. was Spanish. Um, it was only nine minutes long, um, directed by Lucas Paulino and Angel, probably not said like that, Angel Torres. Um, and it's uh, the little synopsis here is a witch that is observing from the apartment across the street and a story no child should ever hear. I think uh, with, with short films, I, I sometimes feel a little bit unsatisfied because I never feel that there's quite enough. But with Bedtime Story... For a nine-minute short film, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it mm. was all—it was contained, and it told a story, and it ended on a very, very creepy note that I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, I do—I do like a witch, <laughs> okay, <laughs> generally. Um, but yeah, of, of all the the shorts that day, that was the one that I felt was complete and and, and, and yeah, yeah, genuinely creepy. Yes, I thought it had a couple of effective jump scares. It did as well, which. I don't love a horror film that relies on jump scares, mm-hmm. but I think a, a good jump scare that's um, earned yes. is is a, is a good thing. And um, yeah, and, and yeah, you're right. The atmosphere in that one was great. One of my notes just says SNES because I think these the two young boys in it. There's just like a camera pan along their room or the corridor leading to their room, and there's a Super Nintendo just kind of sitting in the shadow. <laughs> oh no. That's like my house. <laughs> they not had a more up-to-date game system in like 25 years. Oh dear. <laughs> Something I noticed with Bedtime Story and with some of the other shorts that were non-English language, um, all of the dialogue was subtitled, but not the actual title of the film. So therefore, I didn't always know what film was coming on. Mm. Um, but I worked out, this one was called El Cuente in Spanish. So, so, which I think is the story, <laughs> the story, the bedtime story. It also, I, I was actually glad that um, it was called El Cuente because calling it bedtime story, I might have immediately um, had a reaction because about fifteen years ago, I produced a short film called The Bedtime Story, which somebody plug, else plug plug wrote plug. and directed. <laughs> no, no, no. It's 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 a film better buried. It's right. just an interesting unplug unplug. Um, <laughs> An interesting experience of being stuck in a situation where you have to make a film and you don't really want to. You don't really want to. Only film graduates have this kind of bad experience. <laughs> um, but probably everybody does. Um, so, which one will I pick out What was of? your favourite short? Well, I'm going to talk about Changeling, which is a, a British um, ten-minute film written and directed by Faye Jackson. I don't think it was the best short... No. Um, but I just thought it was the one that had the most potential. It does. It's basically. It's about. Well, I'll read the synopsis. A new mother becomes increasingly mesmerized and appalled by the strange transformations happening around her baby. She instinctively hides them, unaware they are building towards a final metamorphosis. Hers. <laughs> um, Hers. I don't really know what that means, and I still didn't really know, <laughs> having seen the film. You could kind of, I think possibly more than any of the films we saw that day, you could really see the low budget on this. You know, the way it was shot, it was murky. Uh Um, I mean, for instance, in um, Why Don't You Just Die, I kind of thought, this is the kind of movie that a really clever low budget director might have wrote if he had a really interesting flat and he'd just come up with (laughs) scenarios that could happen in it. Yeah. And I couldn't work out whether it was a real flat or whether it was a set they built. It was probably a set, but mm-hmm. maybe not. 
Um, whereas this, it's like everything in it is clearly they've just they found a location that they, yeah. they've got for a couple of hours. So they mates flat yeah. in town. <laughs> yeah, there's like a scene where she goes to like a be- mother and baby group, mm-hmm. and, I just, and, and they are horrifying. I can't <laughs> testify. Oh, okay. Mother and baby groups so being horrific. That was an <laughs> accurate piece of real life horror. Yes. Okay. And I thought that the the way that they chose to manifest some of the weird things happening well i couldn't really tell what was meant to be happening the first yeah. thing that that happens is she finds what i can I, I choose to describe only as weird shit in her baby's nappy yes and it's like a bad nappy and, it, uh, and it's <laughs> is like, there a good nappy well yeah exactly i mean that's the, that's the thing is like you, mm, this probably doesn't make the point as much as as the director wants because any audience would react with with disgust at that, even mm. it doesn't really add much that it's like moving around slightly, mm-hmm. um, and it reminded me a bit, a bit of kind of um, low budget horror movies like Larry Cohen's The Stuff, where you mm-hmm. just have goo and there's something <laughs> in the goo kind of making it move a bit. Someone's uh, got a straw. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> oh dear, I wouldn't like to be that job. Um, goo fluffer. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then. And and this kind of weird material seems to keep appearing in strange places. And at one point, there's a rat in her apartment yeah. or her flat or her house. But the rat is kind of eaten by the goo. I think that's what was meant to happen. Yeah, there was the um, fetus as well that she found. That white thing Oh that yeah, was a well, fetus. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what that was. And I kind of thought, is that something that is like the remains of the rat? Because the rat gets sucked in and then this... Fetus appears. It, look, it looks like an early, early week fetus. Right. Um, and the way I read the film from my point of view as female and mother is that it was a, a, a description of, of postnatal, not necessarily depression, but postnatal, what the fuck is going on? Mm. Because your body's changing again, everything's weird, and some postnatal depression does tip over into, into mental breaks. Right. And women, you know, thinking that their babies are evil and, and stuff. You know, this this happened and, and it's sad when it does. But I think the seeing the baby as as monstrous and seeing her body as monstrous. And in here it's talking about a final metamorphosis. You are going through a process of metamorphosis when through pregnancy and giving birth. And then, you know, the after stages when you're just a milk machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just sort of read it as a tale of this is how crazy it you know, just the craziness of, of being a, a new mum and of and all the body stuff that, that goes with it. Mm. And, and the body horror that goes with it, because, you know, yeah, it's it messy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's tr- body transformations yeah. and, and all that. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's the way it's meant to be read. Yeah. And um, and I think the actress uh, playing the mother, and it was very good, it doesn't give her name here. Um, and I think that the final moment... Uh, in which, and, and I'm going to spoil this because in a way there's no point talking about a short film and, and not entirely spoiling it. But <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll, I'll keep it vague. When that transformation does happen mm-hmm. and there's a, a, a weird emergence from the, the goo. From the goo. I thought it was quite well done. Yep. But, uh, and I mainly left it feeling like I want to see more of that. I think yes. you could make a, a feature film out yeah. of this idea. Of, I mean, and recently Alice Lowe did make the movie Prevenge. Prevenge, yeah. Yeah, which um, <laughs> is a really good example of it, both exploring themes of motherhood through mm. horror but, and also just being a really inventive use of 
a low budget. Yeah. Because basically, she was offered the, ch- the the money to d- write and direct a movie, and she's like, "Well, I'm pregnant. You know, I wasn't planning to do anything for a few <laughs> months. Yeah. But but the the window was there, and yeah. so she thought, "Well, just use what you got, and yeah. um, you know." And she did, and it's a fabulous film. It is a great movie, and um, yeah, a huge recommendation on on that level. And I think. Just going back to Changeling, I think that it could be expanded in a yeah. similar way. And it would be good to meet other characters like um, the, dad. the father, yeah. um, who seems to be absent. Yes. We do, see, we do see him once. Yeah, I think that's right. He kind yeah. of appears in the background. But, and then buggers off again. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, you know, as happens. Um, what, what you said about Changeling feeling like it could be a full-length movie, I think that's what I felt with Bedtime Story as well. The spooky witch and mm. kids, you know, being frightened at bedtime. I think that could be elongated. And with with bedtime story, I felt like I wanted more. Mm. Ooh, watch, built for watching more of that because yeah, yeah. that was good. Whereas I think with shorts in general, I always feel a bit, eh. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? What's what's happening? I don't understand. Actually, I'd I'd like to see more done with bedtime story as well because mm. there is obviously a great tradition now of of full length ghost stories coming out of Spain yes um, uh, by directors like J.A. Bayona yeah uh, The Orphanage was amazing it really was um, and th- there's been several others um, and I, I, saw, I saw one a few years ago called The Baby's Room um, right. I don't know what the Spanish title was but it was about two new parents start to hear strange sounds coming over the baby monitor which is a great um, hook yeah and I, terrifying <laughs> well yeah yeah yeah, I can't remember where it went with it, but it's, yeah. it was worth a watch. I was definitely afraid of our baby monitor when we had one. Um, so we'd put her to sleep in the bedroom, and we'd sit in the living room, and the baby monitor would be on. And I, I picked up and held the baby monitor close to my ear. I must have done it once every three or four minutes when I should have been just taking that time to relax. But the, the fear of hearing something on the monitor that you shouldn't be hearing mm. is, is definitely a right. thing, for be- sure. Because I guess... Um, having you know not being a parent myself, but I guess that you you become attuned to always hearing that because that's the yeah. point, isn't it? You're always kind of listening to it, or at least part of your brain is. Yeah, you're always just sleeping with sort of one ear open, basically, yeah. all the time. Um, anyway, yeah, don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I think the window is closing, now, so, so that's all right. Um, uh, yeah, so just a couple of other films that uh, of the shorts that I'd like to mention. Mm-hmm. There was. Um, this movie called Stop, which I I thought was a strange one, because it's not a horror film, mm. but also it was possibly the most psychologically intense experience mm-hmm. I had all day. Well, do you want to read the description of this one? Okay, Stop. Uh, a traffic stop turns sinister when two black men encounter a small town cop on a power trip. And I think from that you can kind of see or hear where. Well, where the the tension comes from? Yes, absolutely. In the movie. And it was very tense. Yeah, um, it's it's obviously a U.S. film. It's directed by Stephen De Janeiro. There were two levels of tension to it. One of them is because of the of the world we live in, and uh, and so many uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, yeah. and so many incidents in America where um, deaths have been caused by interactions between white police officers mm-hmm. and, and black individuals. I just thought, what is this going to do? And I was just eating my own fist, essentially. <laughs> I'd also just read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, which has quite a lot about 
the kind of social factors, not just racism, but, but other things too, the more complex things, which make these interactions really dangerous. Mm. You know, even... Uh, I mean, there are incidents where something completely innocent has, has resulted in a death. Yeah. You know, maybe not a shooting there and then, but like this is the case of Sandra Bland where... She was pulled over for, a, I think, um, failing to signal when she was turning. Yeah. And it was a, it should have been a quite standard interaction where she was let off with a warning, but it escalated, so she got arrested and later killed herself in her cell. Um, and it's, and Gladwell talks about the fact that, um, in a way, a lot of a lot of these officers. I mean, it differs depending on what part of the country they're in, but a lot of them are kind of trained to be on edge. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're trained to look for um, danger signs and to interpret things in the worst way. Yeah. So it's really easy for for the wrong word to, to kind of escalate to, to something it. dreadful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this film, you're kind of, throughout it, you're waiting for that to happen yeah. in a way. I also had a fear, which contributed to my sense of tension, that is this movie going to turn into like a hackneyed presentation of these horrible real-life yeah. events, which... Uh, I think it's fair to say it doesn't do that. No. It kind of goes as far as it can yeah. in just exploring that tension. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just really impressively done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So worth a mention, even though it isn't, it's not a horror film mm-hmm. or, or not a genre film. It, yes. It is horrifying. Um, but just just really well done. And I think that the director is probably going to um, have his name on a feature movie release sometime soon. Stephen DeGenera. And just before we move on from the shots, I think we just need to mention Asparagus <laughs> Tips. Asparagus Tips. Uh, which was the first film we saw all day. It was a little preview, four-minute short film just before. Just before time, time death, death in the yeah. morning. Um, a dinner party kicks off with the final guest to arrive, the oddly named Asparagus Tips. We soon gather that her name comes for comes from her asparagus hands. After the starter doesn't go according to plan, she steps up to the plate, literally, and offers her tips for the party. <laughs> oh dear! It, it, it's basically a really good comedy sketch. Yes. Which um, yeah. And I think a lot of short films, when they work, do fall into that mm. because they have the structure of not the beginning, a middle, and an end like a story, mm-hmm. but a beginning and a middle and a punchline, like yeah. a joke. And therefore you've got tension and then something happens at the end. Uh, <laughs> and and this is exactly that. Um, you know, you've got the weirdness of this woman turning up to this dinner party with asparagus fingers. Asparagus fingers, yeah. Um, and, then, and then the guests kind of discovering that they like to eat them or, or making that decision and, and it getting weird, weirder from there weirder which it weirder. actually does get yeah. weirder because um, it's, it's asparagus tips but they want to eat her fingers it's like vegan cannibalism <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting that would possibly be an even better title actually um, and uh, yeah it's just it's a really well done it's got it reminds me of like you know it's really British. It's got oh, it's kind very of, very English. Yeah. It's got a kind of Mike Lee Abigail's party kind of social satire thing to it. Um, it it reminds me of those kind of plays um, like um, Spike Milligan and John Anthrobus's The Bed Sitting Room, where you mix ordinary politeness with something really weird and uh, or or a movie like and I haven't seen it, so I'm I'm just guessing. But there's a play in a movie called The Ruling Class which was made with mm. Peter O'Toole in the late 60s, 
which I, I think leans towards the idea that um, um, the, the relationship between rich and poor is either metaphorically or actually cannibalistic. Yeah. Um, a lot of these kind of things mix something really violent and grotesque with that kind of gentility. So it fits in, into that tradition. Um, Asparagus Tips Herself is played by Carrie Ad Lloyd, who yes. I, I've never seen before. But um, I, I know her work because she presents a podcast called Griefcast, um, talking to comedians about death and grief. Um, and I and I got introduced to that um, through Adam Buxton's podcast. Right. She's very intelligent and funny, but I've never seen her act before. But in this movie, she's got both in her performance and her general screen presence, she has a kind of meekness and, um, and a very kind of likeable tragic quality of wanting so much to be liked and to be yeah. accepted in, in the right kind of social circle that, that you <laughs> so can hack off her fingers and yes. fry them with butter and it'll be fine yeah, so um that was um yeah I, I think that was a great little movie to open to wake us up with in, in, in the, an aperitif yes <laughs> um, and I would recommend it. it it's a little movie that needs more exposure I think they should put it on DVD releases of all the films. Yes. Channel 4 should show it all the time. Um, <laughs> I'll just mention that um, the director of that film is called Sam Bailey. So, um, well known Sam. Thanks, That's, Sam. <laughs> um, I, I look forward to finding the next um, release from Sam Bailey. Uh, welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the present day, or the present day at least of when we're recording now, uh, which is April 2020. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the discussion there with Stella and myself about the short films we saw at Grimfest. Now, Grimfest, like um, any kind of live um, or communal entertainment event, is, is going through a bit of trouble at the moment. They're not sure if their upcoming events will um, go ahead later this year. They don't just do a festival in October, they also do screenings kind of regularly, almost monthly throughout the year. Um, and it's very uncertain which of them are actually going to happen. Not the, any of the ones that were due very soon, clearly. Um, but thinking about that and trying to find a way to continue to put out content, uh, Grimfest have launched Grimfest TV which you can access either through their website, grimfest.com, or through their YouTube channel, Grimfest TV. Um, and on that uh, platform, they're going to be uploading a lot of um, short films that they've showcased and feature films from their recent festivals. And if you go to that location, I'll put links in the show notes on our website for this, you can see two of the short films that Stella and I discussed. You can see Stop uh, and you can see Bedtime Story. Go there, subscribe, um, see what they've got. And also, if you like what Grimfest do, then you can support them by going to their website and donating, which is obviously going to be very helpful at the moment because, like any kind of live entertainment promoters, they're not making any money at the moment. So I think it's it's worth thinking about ways in which we can support them because they're a great support to you know, new and emerging filmmakers, not just in Britain, but from around the world. Lots of um, good, new, bright talents get their new films shown at festivals like Grimfest for the first time. And yeah, hopefully indeed. we'll go on from there to do something extraordinary um, that really breaks through. So, um, And to get an idea of, of 
the particular films, the feature films that we saw that we think might break through. Well, if you listen to Stella and I's um, feature films discussion, which will be in an upcoming episode of the show. Horror shorts in particular are, are you know, are great kind of um, ground for young filmmakers to kind of um, explore their craft for not a huge amount of money um, and attract attention. And in that, with that in mind, um, I want to <laughs> do a little bit of a kind of uh, a, a plug for um, uh, an ex-student of mine. Oh, Rob go Savage, ahead, by um, all means. Who, yes. So um, Rob uh, is just, uh, I think yesterday actually, posted a film on Twitter that he's been making, made in, he's made in lockdown with the same kind of, you know, very contemporary Zoom format. Um, so if you, you can find him on uh, Twitter, that's uh, D-I-R Rob Savage is his uh, Twitter, Twitter handle. And uh, the film he put up yesterday has already got like 88,000 views, which is, um, amazing oh, wow. um, and it I, I literally I, I just it made me jump um, so well done Rob but he's also you know been making um, moving into television over the last a few years but he's you know kind of made um, horror shorts and there were a couple that I just I mean obviously I'm slightly biased I think they're all amazing yeah. um, but uh, two that I re- I'm really fond of is he made one in 2017 with Alice Lowe, who, of course, we talked about. Or future listeners will hear in a future episode, uh, Dan and I discuss um, uh, her horror film, Prevenge. Um, so she features in uh, a short that he did called Salt, which is very atmospheric, very lovely, um, very short and to the point. And uh, he also made a, a film, I'm not sure on the date, um, uh, with Paul McGann, oh, wow. um, which is also... Uh, a um a kind of horror and again very 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 short so not a huge amount of time commitment for you folks um and you can find those at his website which is uh savagecouk um so you'll find links there um so yeah and also obviously the the kind of new one which i'm, I'm not sure if it has a title right uh, i love Twitter. the idea of someone um you know using the medium of zoom to create a horror film in this situation <laughs> yes. creative responses yeah. to the the lockdown is, is what we need i think and I, I went on a zoom pub quiz this weekend so that was a new one for me <laughs> i think that's really it's going to be a cultural shift all these kind of things um people finding new ways to have yeah. fun online and to be creative and to communicate and keep the conversation going i think that's great um we'll put that link also on our website uh, and nowpodcast.com Uh, in the post of this episode so um, it should be fairly easy for listeners to find Rob's uh, short films so um, now we'll go on to our second um, kind of breakout segment of this episode um, or our second archival segment of this episode um, to introduce our uh, fourth co-host and um, another kind of ongoing theme of the podcast um, the final kind of ongoing theme which will come back to recurrently as the show goes forward so um our fourth host is howard whittock um some listeners may know that um a few years ago howard and i started a podcast called the lee cushing podcast which was our exploration of all the films uh made by two of our favorite uh sadly deceased actors um peter cushing and christopher lee and that's a lot of films so we thought we could get a lot of episodes out of that Unfortunately, we only managed about five or six, but we did get some really nice feedback on the ones we did. Um, Some listeners um, said some really nice things. So we always wanted to bring it back, um, but um, I thought it was important to kind of do it regularly 
or do it as part of something that was regular because unfortunately Howard and I discovered that um, as we were unable to um, remotely record the podcasts we had to meet up we live in different counties um, and therefore it just became very very difficult to even keep to a monthly release schedule so I kind of thought, well, maybe we could carry on doing it if we have another podcast, which is kind of regular and the Lee Cushing podcast kind of makes occasional appearances. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, We've already recorded our first new episode of that, um, which is about the 1973 film Horror Express. Um, And we're going to add that to this podcast feed uh, in a few weeks time. Um, Any listeners who have been following the Lee Gushing podcast since we started it in 2016 um, will have been waiting a very long time for a new episode. So um, as a little acknowledgement and a thank you to the people who we know we've been keeping waiting for a long time, the new episode of the Lee Gushing podcast about Horror Express is available as of now um, in one of two ways. You can either donate £1 a month or just a one-off payment of £1 to our Patreon page. Or, if you don't have the money to do that, and I understand, um, you know, plenty of people are tightening their belts at the moment, given the situation we're all in, um, just email us at our usual email address, which can be found on our website, uh, andnowpodcast.com. The email address is ambisoulslimited at gmail.com. Just email and let me know that you'd really like to hear the Horror Express episode now. And I'll send you a link so that you can listen to um, a preview version of it. It won't be absolutely the entire final episode. There are going to be a number of elements of it uh, which we will eventually add, such as the usual comedy sketch and things like that, that aren't included at this point because they take longer in the edit. However, the main discussion of the film will be there if you'd like to hear it right now. Uh, In the meantime, I'll also find all the old episodes and add them to this feed so that listeners can kind of catch up and then it will be a journey that we'll go on together through... I think those two actors made around 24 films together um, as well as some TV shows and things. So we'll, we'll kind of cover all of those. But what I wanted to do was include Howard and this theme in the first episode somehow. And therefore what we have now is um, a short... Um, pseudo episode of the Lee Cushing podcast that Howard and I made a few years ago with a live audience in Manchester and at an event called Stage Fright which was a day long celebration of essentially horror theatre but they gave us a a short slot to basically talk uh, in front of a live audience about a randomly selected film from the canon of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee so we went in front of a small audience and we had a bag of potential films, and we picked one at random uh, and talked about it. And um, and it was it was fun for us. I hope it was fun for the audience as well, and I hope it'll be fun for the listener. It sounds fun. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I won't reveal immediately what the film is uh, is going to be, but you'll hear us kind of choosing the film. And it's only a short segment, so we will the film that is chosen will be discussed at at greater length in a later full episode of the show but for now you can hear howard and i and um hopefully an enthusiastic audience talking about the film which is chosen so um enjoy and once again kirsty and i will still be here when you come back to the present day (laughs) 
So, does anybody want to be a volunteer and rummage in the bag of death for us? I don't mind. Okay. Can you hold that? Yes, please? certainly. Uh, Dracula AD 1972. Oh, right. That's the one we wanted yeah. to hear! Right. Okay. So, um, dig the music, kids. Um, what is that song they sing? Uh, there's the song by the Stone Ground as well. Stone Ground. Oh my god. Anybody in this room seen Dracula AD 1972? Yes. I knew you would, yes. Mr. Dennis. So, what, what, how would you sum up? Dracula AD 72 in one word. Diseased. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so does, does anybody know what this movie is? Absolutely. Well, in, yes, in 1958, Hammer Films um, produced Dracula, starring Christopher Lee as Dracula. Peter Cushing as Van Helsing. It was very, very successful, and it led to a whole series of sequels of varying quality. Uh, by 72, I think they'd made five or six of them, yes. and they were starting to uh, not have much impact at the box office. They started to make them very, very violent, very, very full of nudity to try and attract new audiences, but that wasn't really working. But then there was an American movie that came out called Count Yorga Vampire, or the loves, the loves of Count Yorga Vampire as its alternative title. And that was just like a low-budget movie about a vampire skulking around Los Angeles. But because it was modern day and it was very down-to-earth, it was really fresh. It wasn't set in the kind of uh, Victorian middle Europe milieu that most of these movies are. So somebody at Hammer decided, hang on a minute, that works. Let's do one of our Draculas like that. Let's bring him up to date. So they... They paid a writer to come up with Dracula, A.D. 1972. They brought back Peter Cushing as not the original Van Helsing, but Van Helsing's great-grandfather, grandson, who was called... Lorimer Van Helsing. Lorimer Van Helsing. And Christopher Lee, who was resurrected from being dead in a very um, convoluted manner involving drugs and kids who were on drugs and into... Like rave music? Well, not rave music. Well, I'm not quite sure. They all look about 30 years old. They're all supposed to be teenagers. And yes. one's dressed as a monk. Yes. For no reason. They all get around in this abandoned church and, and do this kind of sexy ritual, which is supposed to be for kicks. But the evil leader of the group, whose name is Johnny Alucard, which is in no way a clue to his... No, certainly not Dracula backwards. <laughs> if, if it was that easy to solve Peter... <laughs> If it was that easy to solve Peter Cushing's character, would not have to grab a piece of paper, write Alucard on it, and Dracula on the bottom, and then draw lines to work out they were the same. To be honest, I'm fully impressed you've got your marbles, because that's something I've never had. All right, okay, well, I respect that. I respect a man who is, is able to go marble-free. Um, you, could, you, could, you could argue that the, 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 these marbles are just a decoy. That I've never really had proper marbles, but Johnny Alucard backwards is Dracula Enoch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think that's probably the most intelligent comment anyone's <laughs> ever said about Dracula AD 1972. So they get round in this ritual, and Johnny Alucard puts some weird music on and goes, "Dig the music, kids." <laughs> Seriously, and um, then they make some. They mix up some uh, ashes into blood and pour it over Caroline Monroe's bust, and that's what brings Dracula back to life. And it certainly is is enough to wake anyone up. 
What do you think about Dracula Ready 72, Howard? Well, the thing is, the, of course, it's not very good and I love it. Absolutely. I just think it's kind of... Uh, no, I don't know. I, mean, I suppose I watched it as a kid and I, I, I loved it then and when I was about 12 years old. And Yeah, it, you know, it's not very good. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's kind of... It's, it's fun. It's fun on its own sort of... Is it trashy, bad, yes. cliché? I mean, the dialogue's really terrible, isn't it? Yeah. The dialogue written for the, the young people. One of whom is a young Michael Kitchen, or relatively young Michael Kitchen. Uh, and the others just disappeared. No, well, there's... Um, well, Stephanie Beecham. Stephanie Beecham. Caroline Monroe. Um, one of them was played by Janet Key, who was, about a year later, was playing Regan's wife in The Sweeney. Oh, wow. So that's how teenage she was. Yeah. Um, they all, I mean, they've all... Yeah. <laughs> they all look about 30 years old. But, they're, you know, they've all got that terrible dialogue to say, like... But did, you, did you not watch it as an adult? After being oh, yeah. And then think, actually, this is a little bit crap. I would say you have to see it. It's one of those movies you have to see. It's just sort of got a wonderful desperation about it. It's beautifully made, actually. It's yeah. really nicely shot. There's a wonderful video on YouTube that you showed me where they've cut together all the shots of Van Helsing with, like, funky music on it and done it as if it was the title sequence for a 1970s cop show called The Van Helsing Mysteries. <laughs> and it's just wicked. You just watch it and go, I wish this was a real thing. Um, yes, yeah, Cushing's really good. Uh, it's brilliant. The first scene is brilliant with having the fighters on the stage, but you said... 100 years previously. Uh, and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are fighting on top of the stagecoach and it clashes and he stages him and everything. And that's really well done. Mm. And then the credits start and it all goes downhill after that. So well, the credits... The are, the, there's the amazing thing. It starts with the funeral of the old Van Helsing, doesn't it, in 1872, whatever. And the camera kind of shows the coffin lowering down into the hole and the title comes up saying Dracula. But then the camera pans up into the sky into this beautiful blue empty sky and suddenly a bloody 747 jet appears in it like that and the thing goes 181972 and the music and that funky music starts off all, all the older Hammer movies yeah <laughs> I spent far too much of my life watching this film at one point the, thing, the weird thing is that they made a sequel to this called The Satanic Rites of Dracula, which is only like made and set a year later. And I think that's actually really good. It's like they got the atmospheric way to do a modern vampire story. But Dracula 8072, and I saw Satanic Rites first and thought, this is great, I must, I must watch Dracula 8072, and then I watched 72 and was like, what? <laughs> um, and, when, and weirdly, that happened again when I was at university. I was, just, I was watching Stanley Rides of Dracula one night with my housemates, and they had some friends around who I didn't know that well. Uh, but they all enjoyed the Stanley Rides of Dracula. And I was like, you know, have you got anything else like this? And I was like, oh, well, I've got Dracula, AD 1972. So they went, okay, and we put that on. <laughs> and um, it's like, when, when there was like a chase scene in it with Van Helsing chasing after Dracula and like funky, bluesy music playing, one of the guys just went, this music is just far too light-hearted. And I just thought, and it was like... It's not very, well, it's not Hammer-style music. Yeah. Because, sort of like, uh, yeah, all the, the early Hammer films are like the horror movies that kind of defined horror movie music. They're like really melodramatic. Dun! 
Like the actual theme tune to Dracula is based on the syllables Dracula. It's like dun, dun, dun. Um, and that's I think the critic Matthew Sweet said it's music that screams as the audience screams, which I thought was a lovely phrase. But but then Dracula only seventy two. They just chucked that out. They kind of went. The kids aren't interested in that. We want pop music. We want to sell albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, bluesy, bluesy, whatever. But it just doesn't work. But it's wonderful. But do you, you laugh? Know? Do you laugh at it as well, though? Do you think it's funny, or do you actually? You mean it's the song? Funny by accident. I mean, like, is it funny? Yeah, it's definitely. Because it's silly. Yeah, it? absolutely. That's why I say you've got to watch it yeah. because every now and then. I mean, it starts off with um, after the kind of title sequence and, and and the action in the past with Dracula and Van Helsing. There's a whole sequence which is some hippie kids crash an upper-class party and a rock band that they bring with them starts playing music and all the upper-class rich people are at the side of the room going, this is dreadful, but the kids are like in the middle of the room going, you're so square! And it's just, it's like, it's terrible, it doesn't advance the plot. Um, And one one of these kids is Van Helsing's granddaughter, played by Latter-day soap opera star Stephanie Beecham. So that's kind of the link into the plot. Uh, yeah, it's not a great movie. There's a band called Stone Ground. It's called Alligator Man. That's what I saw that Alligator Man. You have to watch it just for that. It's for, that for, the, for that music. I see what you're around with the honky tonk pianist. There's like a honky yeah, yeah, There's about 68 people in the band. Yeah, it's one of the. It's totally dated. It was dated at the time, but it's also so 70s. <laughs> Uh, it's so late sixties in a way. I would say you've got to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the problem, the problem is that film, like a lot of Dracula films, is that Dracula is not in it very much. No, they bring him back to the present day, but he never goes out to church. Never actually does anything in modern day. Yeah, he just stands there and like points at people. Um, but the thing is, Christo- yeah. Christopher Lee hated the script. He hated the script, and he hated all the scripts of these films. He was quite a big star by this point, and apparently Hammer would. He'd always go right. I'm not doing any more now. No more Draculas. And then, uh, because that's what he spoke like, yeah. genuinely, you know, uh, it's, it's almost uncanny. Um, and, um, but Hammer would then go, oh, sorry, Chris, because they spoke like that as well. They'd go, oh, sorry, Chris, we've already pre-sold it to the Americans, and, and, uh, and, you know, they've given us the money, we've got to make the film, and if you quit the film now, you know, we'll have to cancel the deal and everybody will lose their jobs. So we'd go, all right then, but don't make me say anything. Christopher Lee ever turned anything down? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he yes. Carry on, Dick. Right, oh, that's a shame. No, no, he actually he turned down Halloween. They approached him to be really? the Donald Pleasance yeah. character in Halloween. And Gushing. Yeah, they um, and apparently. Donald Yeah, um, apparently when Christopher Lee saw the film, he did actually say, "I wish I'd, I'd done that. It's a brilliant film." But on the other hand, unlike, you know, Donald Pleasant's made a career for the next 20 years of appearing in Halloween sequels. I don't think Christopher Lee would have done that. <laughs> You'd make a good vampire. That's what it can't be. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, he's got that similar sort of thing about him. That, that, that. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Und- undead charisma. Exactly. Yeah, they might not know what's going on there. It wasn't an attempt to revive me. No. No comment. So, welcome back, folks. Welcome back for the present day. That was the Lee Cushing podcast discussing Dracula AD 1972, which, believe it or not, was made in the year 1972. 
Um, <laughs> now, Kirsty and I are here just to um, uh, to round up this episode, the first episode of And Now the Podcast Starts, give you an idea of what's coming next, and um, and I think make some dis- some recommendations um, of things that you can hopefully watch uh, quite easily. Um, because at the moment, with the lockdown, we all need um, things to distract us that are accessible. Um, and luckily, one thing that, that humanity in the 20th century and the 21st has got quite good at is using technology to disseminate entertainment. So that's what we're all depending on right now. Um, and I think it'd be good to kind of pick a few recommendations of interesting films um, that are available um, at home. Uh, Kirsty, I think you had some ideas. Yeah. So what's interesting, actually, I think, before we kind of I, I go to, to what I've kind of looked at this morning, um, is that, I don't know about you, Dan, but in the first sort of couple of weeks of this lockdown, I, like, I didn't want to watch horror. <laughs> Just, right, well, yes, like, I, want, I wanted to watch comedy, light, fun stuff, distracting. Um, and then as sort of time has gone on, I've gone, actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, reconciled to our current situation. Um, and I'm now kind of in the mood for things that are a little bit darker, a little bit more kind of um, interesting. Um, so I'm not going to recommend anything that I've, I've obviously not seen yet. Um, but I was just having a look through. Um, I'm lucky enough to be both an Amazon and a, a Netflix uh, subscriber. Other streaming oh, yes. services are available, of course. Um, but oh, just kind of are. looking at the um, the things that that, uh, that Netflix is recommending for me based on my viewing preferences. Um, right. films, films I've already seen, I might add. Um, a couple that uh, strike me on um, uh, on Netflix. Um, Netflix currently uh, is hosting um, Guillermo del Toro's uh, gothic romance horror crimson peak um oh, which okay. i loved um right. uh just because it's just so operatic and so the colors are so vivid um and yeah so if you're kind of in in the you know kind of mood for kind of ghostly um kind of you know uh frivolous uh kind of horror experience i would recommend that one um and then my other recommendation actually not it wasn't to kind of deliberately uh, chosen to kind of fit in with things we've already discussed this episode. But Alex Garland's second film, Annihilation, oh, yes. um, is also on Netflix. And that has one of those things that I love in horror, which is just that very, that deep sense of building existential uh, dread throughout it. Um, it looks beautiful. It has some really lovely horror set pieces. Um, but it is, you know, kind of slightly more cerebral, you know, kind of uh, thinky horror, you know, bordering on science fiction. Um, so I would thoroughly recommend that. I also note that um, uh, they also have uh, Darren Aronofsky's mother, um uh, on Netflix, which I've not seen, um, because along with Mids- Midsummer, um, that's one of those films that I would like to see, but I feel like I need to put my big girl pants on to watch. Right. Haven't as yet got round to it. Um, so those are on Netflix. Um, Netflix also has this is just my personal kind of thing. If you've not seen Hannibal, Hannibal is on Netflix TV series. Um, oh yes, kind of reimagining. Um, and this has been one of my you know, of recent years, my horror loves. Um, It is, again, deeply unsettling, 
beautifully shot, well acted, um, and doesn't doesn't quite behave in the way that you know kind of most network television shows do. Um, it is you know if you think you know Hannibal Lecter, um, check that out because you probably don't know this one. Um, and then my final recommendation is is slightly more in that vein of being kind of light hearted. Um, on Amazon, um, on the recently added movie section, is um, uh, Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement's beautiful, amazing uh, What We Do in the Shadows, um, which is, of course, hilarious. But um, from a horror perspective, it's I'm, I'm a big kind of gothic uh, vampire fan. Um, and the way that that film kind of just draws out the kind of, you know, the kind of archetypes of vampires in films um, and on cinema history, history juxtaposes them and puts them all in a flatting situation um, uh, is, is marvellous and an utter, utter joy. Um, and of course, if you enjoy that, then there's also uh, what we do in the shadows of television series, which I think is on the iPlayer. Ah, brilliant. Um, you've actually drawn a few things there from my vast um, internal library of stuff I've never got round to watching but always meant to. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> so it's good to know that they're actually available to me quite easily because yes. I am a Netflix and Amazon Prime person um, at the moment. In fact, most of the reason I subscribed to Netflix was to watch Annihilation, but then I've never actually got round to it. Um, oh, it's amazing. So, uh, I love yes. it. It looks wonderful. Um, but I will say that I have seen uh, two series of Hannibal, and I did mm -hmm. love it. Um, and I'm glad to know that that's on Netflix as well, because I can catch up on the final season. I think we might have to do our episode about Hannibal at some point. I think, we, point. I think yeah. we do. I think I we think, really do. <laughs> I think um, three out of the four of us are huge fans of that show. Okay, so then I that definitely that's... has to be a thing that happens. Yeah, it just does. So. That, that can be uh, one of the enthusiastic episodes. Yes. Um, so my recommendations, um, I went on a slightly different route. I scanned what's coming up on the Horror Channel over okay. the next week because um, the Horror Channel is always there and, you know, Freeview and, uh, and such, it, it's it's very accessible. The, the movies that I appreciate uh, and know a lot about tend to be older. So um, I noticed two examples coming up there. On uh, this coming Monday, which is the 27th, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, yes although it, it's at like 10 to 1 in the morning, so actually is technically that's Tuesday, I suppose. But there mm -hmm. is um, 1958's The Mummy, starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, which is actually going to be uh, the next episode that um, Howard and I are due to record about their films. Um, that's quite fun. It's not one of the greatest films ever, but um, I, I'm, I, I do have a bit of a leaning towards that kind of faux Egyptology horror, um, yeah. and I think that's quite a good example. There are better I, ones. I think uh, quite a good idea for maybe for a future episode is basically you explain to me, like you know, I am not a, a, a you know kind of British horror you know, Cushing okay. the kind of fan or nor do I know a huge amount about either. So, you know, kind of a <laughs> kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, introduction for newbies would be a really good one just because I'd go, oh, OK, now I understand a little bit. So I mean, I've seen some films, but not not in a way that that is you know, particularly kind of um, perhaps, you know, kind of has the reverence and the respect that, uh, that you imbue. Oh, bless you. Uh, well, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. Um, uh, uh, we'll bring you in. That'd be grand. Um, another film that's coming up next week on the Horror Channel on Thursday, 
the 30th of April is Phantasm, yeah. which is a, a pretty classic example of mm -hmm. kind of low-budget filmmaking made in 1979 by an American director who was, I think, 25 at the time. There are some reports that Don Coscarelli was actually 20 wow. when he made the movie, but but, but it might be 25. Um, either way, it's really impressive as a piece of work. In some ways, yeah, it's clearly uh, a movie made by a 25-year-old guy. You know, there's there's a lingering shot of a topless woman in the first scene, I think. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. it, 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 it's quirky and imaginative and really well done in surprising ways. I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago when it was re-released in a 4K restored print. Um, and with, without spoiling anything, there was just there was one bit in it where my friend who was sitting next to me in the cinema, who'd never seen it before either, just leaned over to me and went, superb! <laughs> That's a recommendation. Uh, yeah, I, I would say definitely. And also, I think it has one of the great 70s funky horror film themes. The music in that film is just great. Um and a, a random other recommendation I've got um, that's uh, when I was just thinking about things that are available easily. There's a Hammer film from 1974, which is quite obscure, called Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. It's one of those movies that was really obscure until just a few years ago when things started to, you know, the digital proliferation of releases kind of dredged up a lot of things which had been more or less lost. Mm -hmm. And now it kind of turns up on the Horror Channel quite a lot. But also, it's on Amazon Prime. Is it one of those ones on Amazon Prime where you just keep scrolling and you keep keep going, you keep going, and then you get to the really weird stuff? Yes, absolutely, yes. it is. <laughs> uh, and what's particularly weird, though, is if you do fancy watching it, don't watch it on Amazon Prime because it's on YouTube officially on the Hammer YouTube channel. Um, and it's a, actually a much better print of the film than the one that's on Amazon Prime. And it's... A fun romp uh, of a kind of kind of nineteenth century vampire hunter in some kind of unspecified middle Europe. I think it's got <laughs> it's got a cool um, cast of uh, like horror character actors in the background, but the main guy um, is played by an actor called Horst Janssen, who. I think was mainly cast for his biceps. If the movie had been made ten years later, it would have been Arnie, right? Uh, you know, well, and he's, all kind of Dolph Lundgren type. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, but he's quite an engaging hero. It's it's a fun, good-looking movie. It's got fun music. It moves at a pace. So those are my recommendations. So I think that's our first episode done, Kirsty. Um, Wow. Yeah, finally, we finally got here. Um, so next I week... I feel accomplished. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now it just it begins. We can continue to have fun. It literally does begin now, Dan. It does. And, um, and you know, just kind of linking to what you said about you, you, at first you didn't feel like watching horror in the lockdown, but then you did. I think it's important to keep the enthusiasm for things that we used to love going even in this new world um because if if we lose the things we used to love then we kind of lose ourselves um and we don't want to oh, that's this. that's quite emotional and existential kind of uh, final i, I didn't <laughs> I imagine i, didn't I imagine you like now that. sitting in some sort of you know kind of drawing room in a smoking jacket and a leather chair kind of you know this is your Kind of final piece of the camera. Well, ob ob obviously, <laughs> thought for the day with obviously. Dan. Um, <laughs> you, you, your vision of me there is entirely accurate. 
Um, of course it is. So, yeah, and hopefully we'll, we'll just kind of keep that enthusiasm going. And on that note, uh, next week, and it will be just a week from now when we release the second episode, uh, it's going to be a special episode dedicated to a film which is a sort of uh, strange love of mine, um, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, um, a controversial and... Um, not wildly popular movie, uh, but very, very interesting. And therefore, Howard and myself and lots of different guests um, kind of contributed to an epic length discussion of it from a number of different angles. Um, I've been working on that podcast for such a long time. It's turned out to be <laughs> so complicated to edit together a show that has about 10 different people speaking in it. Um and I, I hope that it will be interesting both to people who know the film and hopefully love it, people who know it and hate it, which there are many, and also people who've never heard of it. Um, it will kind of be spoiler-free for a, a, a great part of it, um, and hopefully we'll give you an idea of why we think it's interesting, so you might want to check mm -hmm. it out. So that will be... We'll come back next week and pre present that show. But for Can't now, Kirsty, thank you so much for joining me this week. And um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. It will just be a few days before we get to have another such chat. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by... Kirsty Warrow, T.D. Velasquez, Stella Gaynor, and Howard Whittock. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at leecushingpod. Follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at leecushingpodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast and now the podcast stops